Let's go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll be in Proverbs 23. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead and, and help us as we look for understanding. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Proverbs 23. And just for you guys here, I usually read, read a chunk of verses on Proverbs and we go back into discuss them seems so there's not usually a pattern in Proverbs. Uh, so starting at verse 1. When you sit to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are a deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own, cease from your own wisdom. Will you... Set your eyes upon that which is not, for riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat you not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire you his dainty meat. For he that thinks in his heart, so, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, says he to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel which you have eaten shall you vomit up and lose your sweet words. Speak not in the ears of the fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer, the mighty, is mighty, and he shall plead their cause with you. All right, so let's look at these first three verses. When you sit to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meats. And this is the idea that if you go to a banquet... <laughs> Be careful how much, you know, don't appear to be a glutton. Uh, and if, if you haven't done it yourself, you've probably seen somebody who just, you know, they go to a potluck or, or a banquet and they'll go and fill their plate full, you know, piled high and then they'll go back and fill it again. And, and uh, it's not good for their appearance. But this is even deeper on this because this is talking about the desire to be with the rich and, the, and getting their stuff and... and being part of who they are and it's a lot of it is uh, is getting into the world's the ways of the world don't satisfy is really what this verse these verses are getting down to you know you look at the table there's in and if you've ever been to a big banquet it's you know all kinds of dainties and 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 you know if you're at a really really fancy one you may have the lobsters and the shrimp and the snails you know, maybe snails yeah but, <laughs> but you have all these really good appetizing things out there uh, and it's saying be careful be careful of what you look at and when he gets down to it, when he says that there his dainties are deceitful meat this is where it comes into beyond just the okay, what's the deceitful meat? well this is this is where this is where we get into the idea that this is not just talking about going to eat this is going into the rich lifestyle and, and desiring that lifestyle the way of the world and that's why he says, and I love the way he says, put a knife to your throat, you know, cut your, you cut your throat. You know, you're not, you're not to desire these things. And it gets into this whole envy. And it says, when you attend or you, and that literally means, uh, when you sit to eat, that literally means to abide. To sit there to abide in that, in that, in that place. And this goes again, like I said, it goes to the whole envy. The whole envy of what others have. And it says, be careful. Be careful because it's deceitful. 
And we've talked about this in other verses where a lot of people are envious of what others have. You know, God, why don't I have <laughs> something? And, you know, and we've talked to, you know, Paul said that you, we need to learn to be content with what, what we have. And God has a reason for us to not have or have something. And I've seen it over the years, you know, the more you make, the, more, the, the bigger your toys get, the more expensive your toys get. And some people get envious of that. And usually when somebody's chasing after stuff, it never is going to make them happy. And that's what he's talking about, deceitful. You're never going to be happy with things. And if you can't be happy with God, <laughs> you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy whether you have the biggest house in the neighborhood, the most expensive car, the best, <laughs> the best uh, furnishings. And a lot of people that have those things are doing it for all the wrong reasons. They're trying to look, look good. Uh, and that goes into verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. And this is, you know, God is saying, again, that whole idea, don't desire to be rich. If our whole desire is to be rich, then we're not focusing on the right, the right activity. And this is where... If you're seeking big things, a lot of, a lot of pastors fall into this tra trap. They're always looking for something big and comparing themselves to, to other churches and saying, well, I just don't have, you know, I don't have whatever it is that they're looking at. You know, we don't, I don't have the 5,000 people in my church. I don't have, you know, we didn't have 18 salvations last month. You know, whatever it might be, or baptisms, whatever they're trying to measure. And God is saying... What have you got? What have I given you? Now, if you look at yourself and you're not doing anything and don't have anything, then that's one thing. But if you're going out and doing things, you're teaching, you're, you're giving the gospel out, and you're not seeing the same results as somebody else, then that's none of, it's not our business anyway. It's God's business to give us the, the reward. A lot of evangelists, if you study their history, they would go and they'd have this great big evangelistic crusade. They'd lead hundreds or thousands to the Lord. And especially like D.L. Moody, and then he'd be, then he'd go into depression because not enough people came to the Lord as far as he was concerned, and he'd be depressed after his, after his big campaign, after a big crusade, because not enough people responded. He didn't think he did a good enough job, and this has been true of a number of evangelists. They they get done and just say it wasn't good enough, it wasn't enough, and we want to be careful about that. Because it's not me who's doing it. It's not us that's doing something. It's God that gives us the reward. And God is saying, you know, don't cease from your own, you know, don't, you know, cease from your own wisdom because he wants us to have his wisdom. His wisdom. And we've talked many times, the world's wisdom is out there. And the world's wisdom sounds so good. Uh, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the, in the business world now, it's their whole idea they teach you is invest others', others money. Don't invest your own money into your business because you might lose your money. If you invest others' money and you lose it, it's no big deal because it wasn't yours. And that's how they think. And that's how you're taught in the business school. doesn't match the Bible at all, but it makes, it does make some sense. You know, I'm not investing my money, so. But it also te keeps them from really being invested into their company because it's not their money unless they have any kind of integrity, in which case they'd be spending their own money and not other people's money. But the world's wisdom, the world's wisdom is so important to get away from because it sounds, to the flesh, it sounds great. Uh, you know, the idea of 
the world teach, you know, has you saying that, you know, live with somebody before you marry them so that you make sure you're compatible. Well, we're finding out that you're more susceptible to divorce if you follow the world's wisdom. Though, though but from, the, from a worldly perspective, it sounds like a great, great idea. You know, well, we'll make sure we're compatible and then we'll get married and, you know, but that's not God's way to do it. We violate God's laws and it fails. And that's, that's the great thing about getting into God's word and knowing it is we follow his word and his word works. His way of doing things works. Even though the body and the flesh say, you know, well, how can that be? Paul says, be content with whatever you have, with much or with little. And the world goes, well, how can you be content with little? Our body's saying, I don't want to have little. Our flesh is saying, I don't want nothing. God says, despise not the day of small beginnings. You know, and I hope you guys haven't felt you've wasted time coming up here for, for just two, you know, you know, just a handful of kids. I, I think it's been a great thing, blessing to have you guys up here. You know, and it's been a great opportunity, for me anyway. Uh, you know, but it's been wonderful. And God says, look, be, be thankful. Be wor worthy of little things. And we never want to compare. The hardest thing we can ever do is start comparing our, you know, even our own experiences. You know, I only did this this year, and last year was so good. And I'm comparing myself to myself, and it's still, when I compare, I'll either be overly excited because of apparent victories, or I'll get depressed because of an apparent failure. And we want to be so careful about comparison. We just want to live in today, and we talk about this all the time. We live in today. <laughs> I can't control the past. I can't change anything that happened in the past. And I have very, very little, if any, control of the future. I have a little bit of control over the next couple seconds because I'm right here. But even then, I don't have control. I could drop dead. I could have any, an, you know, some crazy thing happen to us that was totally unexpected. I have no control. I have control only of the minute I'm in dealing with whatever God wants me to do in that moment. At that moment. And that's why God said, and I am that I am. He is the God of now. And he's also the God of the past and the present because he's outside of time. And we've talked about this before. God's omnipresence means that he is everywhere and every time at the same time. You know, God's outside of time. He is, he doesn't see time the way we do. He is, and we've, we've talked, he's with Adam and Eve and he's at the tribulation period at the, as the same time he's with us because he is outside of time. He is everywhere. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. Okay, will you set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And this is true for so many people. If you read the, I've been in, in, in business world a lot, and a lot of times you read about these guys, they build a business, then they go bankrupt. <laughs> they build a business <laughs> and they go bankrupt. You know, but they just keep going because that's the type of person they are. They're not going to be defeated. And usually when they go bankrupt, it's not because of things they did. It's, a lot of times it's the government regulations or uh, change in the industry, and they didn't keep moving forward. Uh, uh, the guy that developed the Caterpillar company, he went, made millions of dollars and went bankrupt three or four times before he started Caterpillar. You know, he, but these things happen. And it says, riches fly away. And if you ever get to the place where you'll make money, you'll find how quickly your money disappears. 
It does. If you're not very careful, money seems to disappear. In other places, it says they put their money in, in bags with holes in them. Uh, and that was when God was, you know, judging them but, and, and, and getting after them because they weren't giving their tithes and offerings. But money does tend to just slip away. And this is why people who get strike it rich on a lottery or some kind of big gamble, they usually lose all their money very quickly because they just, number one, they don't know how to watch money and it just disappears. And plus they get, just like the prodigal son, all kinds of, all kinds of friends that pop out of the woodwork and relatives that pop out of the work, woodwork with their hands out. Uh, money flies away. And if, we're hope, if our, all of our hope is in money, it's never enough. Uh, never enough money. Besides which, you find that more money you make, you decide you need a nicer car, you need a nicer house, you need nicer furniture, you start spending more money. And there's nothing wrong with that idea as long as you continue to honor God and, and give to him. There's not anything wrong with having nice stuff, but as long as you're not saying, I'm putting my, my trust in my stuff. And usually when we find people get money, <coughs> and it's amazing when people get money, the statistics show us that those who are poor are more likely to tithe than the rich, rich person. And you would say, well, the rich person has more disposable income, and it is true, they do. But you've also got to figure, and I know this for a fact, when, when all you make is a couple hundred dollars a week, your, your offering is a $20 bill. If you're making five, $6,000 a month, your offering becomes five, $600. And you look at that five or $600 and say, well, you know, that's my car payment or, the house, <laughs> or a good chunk of the house payment. And you're going, you know, $20, what can you buy with $20? You can't even put food on your table for $20. So you go, okay, God, here's your 20, give me my blessing. You know, but when it's a five or $600, it's like, uh, God, are you sure you need this much money? Uh, you know, this would pay all my utilities. Uh, you know, and it's not necessarily the exact thoughts that go to your head, but I know that that's what people think because I've talked to enough of them and I've been there. You know, saying, God, I'm going to give this to you, but man, this was, this was enough to pay a lot of bills. And it gets to be a little more difficult, but it's still only 10% of your income or whatever you're, whatever you're given on tithes and offering. It's still the same percentage. You still have as much left over to, to spend, but it in a psychological way, you look at it and say, ah, it's a lot of money. And God is saying, wealth flies. It, and then look at the way he pictures it as eagles. I mean, around here we see the eagles all the time flying up, up really high and, and just getting away. And that is what it seems like sometimes. Money just disappears. And it doesn't need to be rich. You don't have to be rich to have your money disappear. You could be poor. <laughs> Though we usually watch our pennies a little closer when we're poor because we need them. I, I remember when my kids were little, I remember one time going to the going to the little jar on the shelf that we kept the money in and seeing if there was enough pennies in there to go buy <laughs> some milk or cereal or whatever it was that we needed. Uh, you know, so I remember you know, how fast things disappear. Can you make any comments? I'm gonna we have an interactive time. If anybody has anything to put in, we can. I just uh, was listening and thinking about that because certainly he's really expounding upon the fact that how first just the appearances are terribly important, especially when you're going to somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. I remember just a few, just last night actually, 
I misunderstood what somebody had said, and I ordered a bit much, and I felt bad afterwards. Not only do you feel bad, but you know the other person's thinking, what a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and appearance, and we do put a lot into appearance. And a lot of that goes to because sometimes we know that people will sometimes feel bad for a long time or hold it against us for a long time, and we don't want that to happen either. True. Uh, and that is where it gets really scary because forgiveness is so important and drives a lot of what we do sometimes to try to make sure that we don't have to ask for forgiveness or, or have somebody hold things against us. And sometimes, even when God says to say something, you know, we may not want to because we don't want to offend. And there's a fine line between offending somebody or saying what God wants and bringing conviction into their life. And sometimes what we say that brings conviction may also offend, but God says we need to do those ones. Uh, and there have been times when I've been teaching, you know, throughout the years, and I've and and God will say you need to say this, you know, and I'm going, I can't say that. That's, <laughs> you know, that's going to offend this person. You know, and, and it's kind of amazing when you're actually teaching and you're arguing with God at the same time. Half your mind's arguing with God and half's trying to teach. Uh, but there are those times when you just have to say something because it's truth. You know, and not all truth has to be spoken because sometimes truth is something that can hurt and has no value in that hurt. But by the same token, truth oftentimes has to be said and, and bring people into, into alignment with God. And this is important in, in this whole idea that everything can fly away. And verse 6 says, Eat not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. So this is, this is getting into fellowshipping with somebody. And I've talked a lot about this over time. You know, we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We have to be in the world because otherwise we have nobody to share the gospel with. You know, we have to meet people, share with people, even be friendly to a degree with people. But this verse says much of what I say, our best friends should not be <laughs> non-Christians and, and people with evil. And this is, you know, don't sit down to eat with this person. This whole idea is of fellowshipping. You know, the most intimate thing you can do outside of you know, physical is to break bread. You sit down with somebody for dinner. You know, that is a special, a special time for things. It's, and especially to the Jewish mind and, and the European mind and the Middle Eastern mind, when you sit down, when you invite somebody to dinner, you better plan on spending two or three hours with them. And that's for the dinner. That's not even for the, you know, the time before and after because conversation is part of the dinner and it's a relaxed you know, here in America, dinner is, okay, hurry up, we got our dinner, it's done in about 30 minutes, and okay, we've had dinner. Uh, we're very strange as far as, as far as that goes for most of the world. Most of the world, when you, go, when, you're, when you plan to have dinner with somebody, you better plan on spending the entire night there, and it's a relaxed, casual environment, and this is what it's talking about. You're not to eat with that person that's evil, because they're not there looking for you. And then it, then it goes into this uh, verse 7, for as he thinketh, or for, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and, eat and drink, saith he to you, but his heart is not with you. And this thinking is how they calculate, how they actually think their worldview. And this is why we're so important for us to, to come together and fellowship with each other as Christians. 
because we start getting together. We think alike. We're going to sharpen each other. We're going to knock off those edges of, you know, of, of the world just because we start talking. And I love to talk to people and find out what God is showing them and what God is teaching them. It's fun. It's fun to hear. Uh, the other day when you guys did the Noah story, and you, you commented that in the story that God brought the animals to Noah in one week. As many times as I had studied that, that on it, I had never realized that the animals were brought to him in one week's time. And when you, when you said that in the story, I had to open up the book and go, is that true? And I'm going, it is. You know, and it's amazing what you can learn. And like I say, I've studied, taught the story of Noah probably hundreds of times. And I'd never noticed that one little fact. And it's very interesting that when you start dealing with people, even new Christians can teach you so much. And I love, to, and I've said this over and over, I love talking to new Christians about what they're seeing in the Bible. Because they haven't been taught how to read the verses. <laughs> the way the churches teach you to read the churches, which is usually good, but not always. And sometimes a new Christian will be reading a verse and they'll come across with some very interesting insight on a verse because they're not seeing it from the same way that I've been taught 42 years how to, how to see that verse because there's verses when I read it, I read it the way I've been taught for all my life and don't really think about the verse. And it's fun you know, when you get somebody that just is reading it for the very first time and, and some of the best insights that I have ever had has come from somebody who's been saved less than a year and they'll come, look what I just saw in the Bible. And they'll tell you, and, and it'll resonate with you. You've never, never heard it said that way, never saw the verse that way. But I look at it and say, it fits with all of Scripture. One of the most interesting people I'd ever met, uh, he was talking, and he's just talking from experience. One of these big, he gave like a quick short story. Mm -hmm. And I listened to him, and it's, I started hearing, it was almost perfectly different verses out of scripture just coming out of this story and I'm like you wouldn't know these things unless you had spent oodles of hours working on this but he was just talking from the heart yeah because the greatest teacher is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can teach us is, is going to teach us God's word whether we're reading it or not and I was talking with somebody just the other day, and they were commenting that, you know, without the word, you can't grow. And I'm going, I will disagree with that. I go, with the word, you grow a lot faster and a lot better. But if you've got the Holy Spirit <laughs> teaching you, he is the word. And he is the word, and he's going to teach you the word, whether you have the word to read. Now, it's going to be a lot faster. I'm not saying anything bad about the word. Believe me, if you know me, it's the, the word is absolute <laughs> important. But God is going to teach us. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us. And he will teach us with or without the word. It's a lot faster with the word <laughs> because we can read it and, and comprehend it. But he will still teach us if we allow him to work in our life. It's going to be a lot slower, a lot harder without the word. But you see it in the, in the iron, you know, behind the iron curtain or the bamboo curtain when they were both big. The Christians didn't have a whole lot of the word of God, and yet they grew because the Spirit taught them. They would get little pieces of the Bible because they'd get a Bible and they'd rip it, to, rip it into sections so everybody could have a couple pages of the Bible. Uh, but yet God taught them and grew. And we learned just as much. And I can, when sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel, I, you know, God will draw things out of me that I didn't even know were in me. And I, you know, as I'm saying them, I'm going, when did I learn this? How did I know this? <laughs> 
And yet, there are things I've studied. Usually, I'm sure there are things I've studied at some point or been taught. But God is there. He's ready to teach. He's ready to lead. And the greatest thing is watching God lead. You know, he told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to fill your mouth. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go out and we, per- we don't, you know, that we don't go out and prepare. We don't go out and make plans. But I, over the years, studied many ways to present the gospel. Do I use any one of them the way that I, I studied them? No, I usually mix them up and add, you know, and 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 pick up different verses, and you know, it depends on what the God wants me to use with that individual that I'm talking to. Now, we almost always use, you know, that, that we're lost, that we've got, you know, that our sins or our righteousness aren't any good, you know, because there's certain things you have to give in a gospel message. You know, we are lost. You know, we are sinners. We are lost. We deserve hell. And Jesus, we have to bring Jesus in there as the, as the answer to it. And then we have to say that we have to believe. You know, because, and, and, and then usually I have to talk about what does it mean to believe. Because that is the one thing that's misunderstood the most. And then teach them about repentance. And, but it's all out there. As we think. And we have this, Jesus says, out of the abundance of our heart we speak. And this is the same thing. Who we are is going to be revealed. Who we are will always be revealed. When we start speaking, people will know who we are. They will know how important God is in our life if they spend enough time with us. And that doesn't mean, you know, and I tell people, I go, if you spend enough time with me, we're going to talk about God. <laughs> you know, and it, that's just the way I am. doesn't mean I talk about God always. You know, I can talk about sports and other things and camping and activities, but if you're going to spend any time with me, we're going to talk about God because God is what's m- most important to me and always has been. And you can tell. You can tell when some, when how important God is to somebody. And I've met people that you know, even will claim to be Christians and you talk to them 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 over a period of weeks and then you start wondering, okay, they've never once talked about God. Or when I started talking about God, they disappeared real quick. Uh, and you're going, okay, this, is, this bothers me when I see that. You know, it bothers me. And you've probably all been there with that. You start talking to somebody, and then immediately you start talking about God, and it's like, uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, but it shows us who is important is going to be revealed. I'm going to speak about what I... I'm going, to, I'm going to act in a way that honors whatever is important to me. And I talk a lot about it in church. You know, there's so many churches where if you crack a smile, everybody looks at you like, what's wrong with you? You're not spiritual. <laughs> you know, and or if you get excited <laughs> about God, they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but yet they'll go to a football game or a, or a baseball game and be up and screaming and come away from the game totally hoarse <laughs> because they've yelled themselves completely out but they but if you show any excitement for God they look at you like you're uh, you're you're crazy and it just shows what is important and it says in the eat and drinks he says unto you he says so he says and he's inviting you to eat and drink but he's really not there he's not there to fellowship you guys are pretty young I don't know if you ever had this but you've been, have you ever been invited to somebody's house and it was obvious they really didn't want you to say yes to the invitation <laughs> You know, they were just kind of being kind, you know, and, it's, and you get there and you just, you just feel that 
oh, they just didn't want me here. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you get kind of sick of it real fast, and you uh, make it some excuse to leave, and even if it took you forever to get there. Yeah. But, but everything about it, everything about it. And, and there are people that do this. And we see it even in churches where people get together and they're like, uh, you stay over there, you're a little too, too spiritual, stay away from me. Uh, and it's so important because these are some people out there. Verse 8, talking again about this, this dinner. The morsel which you have eaten, you shall vomit up and lose your sweet words. And that was what you were talking about. You know, you just feel uncomfortable. It's just not where you're supposed to be. Or if you go to somebody's house and they really seem to want you there and they're not even making it look like it, but it's the wrong atmosphere. Believe me, I've been there many times in the business world where you had to go to a meeting. And there were some meetings that I did not want to be in because outside of the business world and you get you out into conferences and everything, it all centered around alcohol and, and everything. And it's like I got to where I never wanted to be at those meetings because it was... You know, nobody said anything about not being there, but it wasn't the atmosphere I wanted to be in as a Christian. And my prayer, usually when I would go there, God, show me some Christians because I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. Would show me some Christians to hang out with for the for that meeting. I'd, and those kind of meetings, I'd usually put in whatever minimum time the company seemed to want to require, and I'd get out of it as fast as possible. But this is that idea. Who do we fellowship with? Are we spending time with people that are going to build up, edify, or we're going to feel torn down and dirty from the experience. And this is something we all face at certain points. And, and in the business world, you face it a lot of times. There's things you do to what they call network. <laughs> you know, you've got to make friends in the industry. And that means go to these stupid parties and, and hang out with these people that you have no desire to be around so that they can help you <laughs> later on. Uh, Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but you know, networking is good. I mean, don't get me wrong, networking is good. It's just, you know, it's just not the best place to be. And the most important thing for us is always to remember beyond that is what does God want us to do with our life? And this is one thing I keep talking to my, my, one, my one son about. He's on the fast track to be promoted, and I'm going, where does God want you in this company? Because there's a certain problem with going up high. The higher you go, the more, more work your, your business expects from you. And the less you can do for God. Because you're expected to put in the 60, 80-hour work weeks and be devoted to, to business when you get to a certain place. And it gets to be hard. So you have to say, God, am I to be the businessman or am I to do things for you? And sometimes stopping before the highest place you could get is ideal. Because work can demand a lot from you. It really can. It can. It can demand your entire soul. And my, and I'll be honest. My first job I did, I I put my whole being into that job and paid paid a heavy price. Family, God, <laughs> I paid a heavy price for turning my entire life over to business. And I I didn't go off the deep end into sin or anything, but I, I, I totally turned away from God in many ways. And when you're working 60, 80 hours a week, it's hard to do anything else. You know? And God sometimes will say, this is where I want you, and just be happy where you're at. 
you know, and could I have been happy where, you know, because believe me, at that, at that company that I gave my soul to, I was looking to get as high as I could. I was looking to make it <laughs> very high, but it didn't, but it wasn't what God wanted. And we want to be careful about that because God, God can say, we can get so busy trying to do something we think is good. And there's nothing wrong with earning a good income for your family and, and doing good work at a job. Just don't sell your soul for it. <laughs> and this is the whole idea that it, all of this stuff can go bad real easy when we're not hanging out with the right people. And this is, this is so important. And, I've, and I share with everybody, come to church, come to church. Not because church is the answer in the end all. If you come to church, it's not automatic going to be you know, everything going to be perfect and hunky-dory, but you're going to be with people that are going to help you. <laughs> you can have the right fellowship. You can have, you can have the brother who comes up and says, you know, hey, I've noticed that you've missed a lot of, a lot of activities and you're, you seem to be at work an awful lot. <laughs> you know, are, 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 you, are you okay? Are, you know, what, is there something we can help you with? You know, that alone could be just enough maybe to say, oh, yeah, I, have I am sacrificing my family. And I've got a friend that I keep telling that same thing to because he just took a promotion and he's working 60 hours a week now and he's had to drop just about everything that he's doing and going, come back. <laughs> you, uh, go, you, do, you can let some things drop. <laughs> you know, be human. <laughs> I've been there. I've been where he's at. You know, I've been there where I, I sold myself to the company. And, it does, and the company doesn't care. In the end, they're going to say, you know, when you've burned yourself out, they're going to go next. <laughs> They don't care about the individual in that job. And this is something we have to keep in mind. The world doesn't care about us. They, they'll use us up, burn us up, and say, okay, we'll replace you. Christianity has this mindset of the people are important. And this makes good managers when they will follow God's way of doing things and say the people are important. And I've, I've left companies because they treat employees as a commodity rather than an asset. You know, get them, burn them up, use them up, and get another one. <laughs> or they're, they're an asset. They're very important to the company. And I loved experienced employees. They, they got, a, you know, they worked better. They had, they didn't have the learning curves. And, and, but God is saying, the caring of people, His love. The world doesn't love. The world does not love. And we want to be careful about that. The world is a very harsh place out there. And when you're in the workforce, you're, you know. They're just looking to get as much out of you as they possibly can and go to the next person. And the world is doing, the world will do that even, even people that you're quote unquote friends that are lost, you know, sometimes you're just doing it whatever they can get from you. And we see it, we see it out there with the people who are out to cheat you, you know. And it seems like everybody in the world is out to cheat them because they're looking out for what's best for me. And this is why we have also as Christians have to be wise because sometimes we're out there to help everybody and, the, and people will use, use, us, use us up as well. Uh, I used to run the benevolence commit, uh, fund of the, at a church. And as soon as people out there find out that there's money at a church, they come out of the woodwork to get help. And the hardest thing is to decide whether you are helping them or enabling them to continue bad habits. And that was a hard decision to make sometimes because we had to look at, okay, if I help you pay this bill this month, how are you paying it next month? 
Well, I'm going to go to this other church next month, and then the next month after that, I'm going to go to the Salvation Army, and then next month after that, I'm going to go to this other church. The, you know, and then I got two or three friends I can, you know. No, that person's being enabled. They're not being helped by anybody. You know, if there were some circumstances, say, well, I had this extra bill, I just can't afford it, then we would say, okay, yeah, we're helping you. But the world is out there to, to just help themselves. And you see it over and over again. And the problem is that in our flesh, we want to do the same thing. <laughs> What's in it for me? You know, how many times have you heard that statement from somebody? What's in it for me? Hopefully we don't think that that often. But yet we still do sometimes, don't we? What's in it for me? If I do this, what's in it for me? And sometimes it's that God just wants us to pour out. Pour out. Paul said that I've, I've given everything. <laughs> you know, his, his, end of his end of his life, he's gone, I've, I've poured out. I am not guilty of any man's sorrow. I've poured out my life. And when we disciple people, a lot of that is just pouring out our life to somebody and trying to encourage them, get them to come along <laughs> and change. And I can tell you the greatest thing is when you're, in, when you're discipling somebody, you're, you're teaching somebody, and you watch them grow. And God is wonderful, and it's the greatest thing to see growth. And I'm sure you guys as parents are very much that same way, that they're very proud of you guys because you guys are a great blessing, and it's a very great honor because it's obvious that they have taught you well and discipled you guys well. And it is wonderful because that's what I teach. That parents, their number one discipler should be their their kids. Their kids should be discipled, taught. And it's funny when I talk to my kids anymore, they, they go, I never, never realized how much I learned until I started speaking in, a, in this Bible study or made a comment at this <laughs> Sunday school class or, you know. And that is really true discipleship is when it's caught. You know, it's not that sitting down with you and saying, okay, let's study the Bible today. <laughs> But it's that example that's going out. It's those conversations, kind of like what we've done this week oftentimes, just back and forth conversations. And there's a lot of teaching going on, but it's not formal. It's not, it's just experience in some case and, and, and living. And it's watching life be lived out. It's watching when somebody is, who your disciple is, you know, goes out and lives what they've been teaching. Uh, they teach about authority. And then when they get pulled over by the police, they treat that authority <laughs> kindly. You know, they may not be happy about it, but they teach. You know. And one of the problems I have with a lot of people that I've talked to, they go, well, I'm going to send my kids to public school, and then I'm going to reteach them you know, at the end of the day. And I'm going, okay, that's very good, and I'm glad you're going to do that. But what you're telling that child is that this authority that you have to obey all day <laughs> is really not a good authority. You're being, you know, indirectly being disrespectful to the authority that you're telling them to be respectful of. You know, and if, if you don't see, I have a very pro big problem with public schools. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think the biggest example I ever had with authority and leadership was uh, Brian Hughes, the guy that called you mm -hmm. to set the club. Well, we were on our way, we checked out Dolan Springs a few weeks ago to check out the church and just see how they were and how the good news club was going. And on our way back, we were driving in the dark, and this police officer turns on his lights. Well, Brian doesn't know that the law says you have to get over it if they're flashing lights. Mm. But he just keeps driving. Uh-oh. Police officer pulls him over. And he doesn't get mad. He's 
police yeah. officer tells him it's a law, and he's like, I didn't know. And in Mojave County, it is, you pull over. This is the first place I've ever lived where people actually pull over and stop. So, yeah, it's against the law everywhere, but it very rare in most places do you see people, they'll slow down and keep moving or whatever, but here it is, you, you pull over and you stop, and it, it was the first place I'd ever seen it, you know, and I've lived in a lot of places, you know, and it's been the law, you had to pull over, but, you know, to stop is something that you don't normally see, and it's, it's refreshing to see. My neighbor pulled over and stopped and got rear-ended. You know. Another guy that didn't stop, you know. Yeah. yeah. He just he didn't he didn't know it was the law that you had to move over. Uh, because we were on the highway. We were like I think it was the uh, Route 93 or something. Yeah, right out here. Yeah, and the police officer pulls him over and he tells him this. He's like I didn't know it was a law. He doesn't get mad at the officer. He doesn't yeah. piss him out when he's walking back. He listens and yeah. I think if a policeman's given a ticket to somebody, you're supposed to change lanes. You you have to pull over to the left lane if there's any flat any flashing light on the right hand right hand I never side. Did that before, but I do now. I yeah. I've learned to, to do that. Yep. But he was respectful of that authority. Yeah, and that, and that's the important thing. And gave him a warning. Yeah. Lucky and, man, that's good. And uh, you know, and it's the same thing no matter what the authority is. Uh, churches are, are a place where people don't really respect authority a lot of time. The old the the the, the big joke goes, you know, what are, what are you eating after after Sunday 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 uh, church? Uh, we're having we're having roast pastor, you know. Uh, and that happens with a lot of people. They murmur, they complain, they, they, you know, are disrespectful of authority, and it's not a good place to be. God is very, very picky about that, and we see in, Deut you know, in, in uh, Exodus how God judged the people for their murmuring. You know, they started murmuring against people, against Moses, and they were judged. <laughs> and God doesn't take it lightly. Uh, authority, just about anything out there, when God says this is important, we need to take notice of it. And this is why, you know, I find comedians hard to deal with because they make, you know, part of what they make fun of is anything that God says is holy and special, usually they make fun of. You know, uh, they'll make fun of virginity, they'll make fun of marriage, they'll make fun of honesty, you know, and I, and I just have trouble laughing at some of that stuff. It just doesn't make sense to me that we say, okay, let's laugh about this, this stuff. And it never has made sense to me. Uh, and as I've walked with God, the more I walk with God, the less funny I find that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, it's all part of our worldview that we have. What is our worldview that we have? Or we have a really godly worldview and that we don't feel comfortable in this, in this world? Or... Have a, has our worldview been so watered down and, and polluted that we have a hard time in God's world, you know, with his worldview? And it's so easy for us to pollute our worldview. <laughs> you know, watch a few movies, watch a few TV shows, read the newspaper or magazine with all the advertisements and their, and their slant on things. Uh, you know, it, it is so easy, and as I've said, even though listening to Christian radio is better, you can still have things that aren't God's worldview in, their, in the Christian music and the, and the Christian teaching. And yes, it's better. <laughs> it's better than the rest of the stuff because it's closer to God's 
worldview in, in most cases, but it's still a polluted worldview. And you were talking about that class on worldview at the school, how many Christians don't know that they've got a polluted yeah. worldview. Like a polluted worldview on, on sex, a polluted worldview on how do you go, how do you date, you know, and all these different things that when they get into God's word and they realize, you know, what am I doing? You know, and we've talked in, the, in, in uh, Proverbs, how many times does God speak against borrowing money? So many times and yet Christians automatically go, I'm going to go borrow money. You know, I need my car. Well, what, what would be wrong with a three-year-old car that didn't that you could have paid cash for, as opposed to that brand new car that's not going to be worth anything in a in a year or two? Uh, you know, all these things that we look at and we and we have bought into the world's way of doing things, the world's way. Uh, you know, how many Christians have gone gotten into the world's view of disciplining their kids? Uh, they say, "Don't spank them," so we go, "Okay, we can't spank them." The Bible says that sometimes, especially. A spanking for a young, young kid is the best way. Not a beating. <laughs> Swats on the rear end that cause pain. When they do something that causes pain for a young kid is a very good <laughs> deterrent. Uh, now, as they get older, believe me, a spanking doesn't do much good on a teenager. <laughs> you know, normally because, you, number one, you can't inflict enough pain for them to, you know, without getting into a beating <laughs> for them to do. But for a teenager... Good discipline for a teenager is going to be take something from them or restrict them or don't let them go out on something they were really wanting to to do. But that kind of a punishment doesn't work on a little kid. I got a good one for you guys. That, uh, when you're buying a used car or a new car, I'm too old to break in a new car. <laughs> I'd rather keep my old car that I know how to work on. That you know how to work okay. on. buy a new car that you have to learn how to the technology that thing it's really expensive <laughs> to keep the thing the new car which has if you buy a used car a couple years old it's already broken all, all right the bugs have been taken out of it <laughs> okay so that's the advantage of buying a used car all right verse nine speak not in the ears of a fool or he will despise the wisdom of your words <laughs> oh you guys are pretty young so you probably never had this but sometimes you talk to somebody that is really a fool and they're just they're not willing to listen to any of the the gospel or the word of God, and they just kind of look at you like, well, you know, and sometimes they'll, especially if they're older, they're going, yeah, well, when you get older, you'll, you'll know that that's, that's just not, <laughs> that's not the right answer. Maybe what the word of God says, but you'll, you'll learn. <laughs> it's even worse with people that are my age, because you have these stupid ideas, I don't know where they got them from, and you're like, yeah, that's a probably really bad idea, and you should probably not take that pill. I know the guy on TV said that was a good idea, but yeah, it's not. But that's because that's what they've been taught. That's what they've been, they've seen. Uh, they don't know any better. They don't have any other answers. Uh, and just in the field you're trying to get into, they, they teach basically nowadays to hand out medications for everything rather than, than heal. And so, but that's the way the world is. They want a quick, easy out. I want, to lo I want to lose 50 pounds. How do I do it? Well, I take these diet pills that, that will speed up my metabolism and make my heart race, but, but I should lose some weight, or I go to get it surgically removed rather than eat less and exercise more. Because <laughs> you know, that's not what they want to hear. Yeah. You know, eat less and exercise more it takes months to get you to lose weight. You know, I want something, you know, give me something that will do it today. 
you know, uh, and this is this is how they try to fix just about everything. You know, give me give me a quick fix. I'm tired. Give me this give me this uh, pill to to give me energy. Uh, uh, I got to get three hours of sleep, and I'm really keyed up. Give me something to <laughs> to go to sleep. Our last class is that. You taught me that I was reading about all these exercise things to do, and you said, don't just read about it, do it. <laughs> you know, I'm busy reading about it, and that wore me out. <laughs> all these different exercises. You, know, you said, do it, don't yeah. just read about it. But this is important for us. Is, and this is why sometimes we will say it's not worth continuing to work with somebody because they're not listening. They're not, you know, doesn't mean give up on them completely. But there's some people and I'm just saying, okay, I've poured into them for two, three years and nothing is helping. I'm going to go find somebody who wants to listen. You know, not that I totally give up on them, but I'm not going to pour completely into that person's life if they're not going to respond. Because there's just too much out there. There's too many people that need to hear the gospel, need to be discipled. And when, if they're ready to change, then I'll be more than happy to keep helping them. But there's certain people that I'm not going to go chasing after to say, you know, come to church, come to God, come to God. That's like uh, Esther and Kathy. He had this guy who was discipling for years and years and years, and he gave him these tapes. And the guy always came over asking for your car. And he said, oh, have you listened to the tapes? At the very end of the last tape, it said, I've got a key to any car you want. <laughs> come on over tell me what was on the last tape. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, after 10 years, Kathy said, give me back my tapes. And he plays the last the one, and he says, you could have had your car months ago, buddy. <laughs> There's a similar, similar one where kid goes off to college, and parents give him the Bible and say, read your Bible every day, and you know, while, you're, while you're away at college, and then a couple months later, he's calling up saying, I need money. I go, well, have you been reading your Bible? Oh. Well, yeah, I've been reading my Bible. Okay, well, you keep reading your Bible and God will provide. <laughs> and you know, they had $100 bills throughout the Bible, you know, that, <laughs> so they knew that he wasn't reading his Bible because the money was in the Bible. <laughs> uh, you know, but this whole idea of God's going to provide and we want to help and we want to be able to help people who need and, and, and are looking for the help. And this is where Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before the swine. I mean, it's, there is a point where to continue trying to work with somebody is just a waste of your time. And Satan will love to have us waste our time on that person. Because while we're sitting there trying to drag them <laughs> out of the mud that they want to stay in, there's two or three people that were out of the mud and needing to be <laughs> helped in how to walk the right way. Now the hard part for us is when, when is it enough enough? Because we don't want to give up on somebody before God's given, you know, saying to go move on. Uh, because you never know when that lat next word might have been just the one to, to draw them out. And that's why I will work probably longer than God has told me to work on somebody. Because I want to be absolutely sure that when I have gone, moved on to somebody else, that I have, that God is the one that's told me to do it. Because I don't want to be the one that says, God says, well, you stopped. Why did you stop when, <laughs> when your next word would have been what drew them out? And so it's important for us to keep moving with somebody, but also be able to listen to God and say, okay, God, <laughs> you know, at least for me, this is a hopeless cause. And we also have to realize that 
each one of us, there's certain people we can reach and certain people that we would never reach. And this is important for us also to understand because we are out there, we plant seeds, we water, and occasionally we get to harvest. And we never, we very rarely will be the one that plants, waters, and, and gets the harvest. A lot of times when, when we teach and we get to be the one that harvests, we're really building, we just said the last straw that, that, that broke them and somebody else is invested in their life a lot. We may, know, we may never know who they are or anything, but uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard a testimony where the person actually had heard the gospel one time. Now, I've heard lots of people say that it was the first time they'd heard the gospel. And I've said, yes, it is the first time they heard the gospel. <laughs> he went in the ears and hit the brain. And I know that I've heard people say that, and, and it was the first time I heard the gospel and I know for a fact that they had heard the gospel two or three times, but that they didn't. But but, but it is a truth that they. It was the first time they heard the heard the message. And I and my example on this is I read the Bible through each year, and every time I get to every time I read the Bible through, there's places where I come across a verse, and I'll ask God, God, when did you put that verse in there? It's I've never seen it before, you know. It's the first time that it meant anything, the first time it actually registered on my brain that it was there. And I know that it's, <laughs> I know that it's always been there, but I've got to have fun with God. God, I've never seen that verse before. You know, uh, how did it get put in here? <laughs> you know, but we all have that times when we just look at something and then all of a sudden we're at the right place in our life, we're at the right development of our life, we're at the right spot in our life where that verse all of a sudden means something, and all of a sudden it jumps off the page. And that's why... God's word is not just dead words on a page. It is a living book that sometimes will just say, hey, here's something brand new for you to consider. And sometimes it's just because we've read enough other verses that all of a sudden it jumps out. And it could be where I'm at in my life and I read that verse and say, that's the answer I needed for, to, you know, for the problem I'm facing. But it's a living book. It's going to keep us moving forward for God. And we are done for today. <laughs> Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for your love and for your kindness, for your, for your word, for your, for your leading. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for us, then you will guide us in that plan. And we ask you to, to lead and guide in all that we do in your son's name. Amen.